Welcome to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon, where our mission is bringing the good news and demonstrating the kingdom. Join us live for Worship in the Word Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on our YouTube channel. We hope you are encouraged and equipped by this week's word with our founding pastor, Denny Klein. Happy Fourth of July, even though it's not yet. What a great motivation to gather, blow stuff up and throw axes. <laughs> Sounds like a great motivation right there. We're going to talk about Jesus too. Okay, yeah. and Jesus too. <laughs> we got to put that in there, and Jesus too. So, well, it's good to see everybody this morning. If you're new here this morning, welcome. If those of you that have been gathering here for a long time, we so appreciate you and your family, and we love you. Um, I'm going to finish Romans 8 today. We've been, for those of you who don't know, we've been going through the book of Romans. And uh, so I'm going to finish today. But I want, before I get to the verses that finish the chapter, I just want to go back just a little bit. I'll tell you what I'm going to do today. I'm going to touch on the, the verses that, uh, you know, like 18 through the end, Really, this is basically a summation of what, and I don't know how much we'll get to, of what, what it really talks about. First thing is future glory supersedes present sufferings. Everything is waiting to see God's children display his glory. Hope anticipates his glory in this life and the one to come. What we do while we wait is we lean into what God made us for and pray. And then the last thing is we can do this. God loves his children. We'll never let them down. And, I, and this part I really feel so strong about. No matter what comes at us, he will come for us. So we'll see how far we get. But I want to back up a little bit on uh, just where Emily's left off with uh, we're no longer orphans, but we're now sons and daughters of God. Because that really sets the stage for all the rest of the chapter. And uh, it's so important to understand that that enables us to believe the rest. So I want to just back up a little bit. And I'm going to read, uh, you know, I think it's like maybe 14 through 17 or something like that. But this is from the Passion Translation because I know you all like that. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be, you know... Just gracious to everybody this morning. And if I get in trouble, uh, Nathaniel promised to bail me out. So. so we'll see where this goes. But this is from the Passion Translation. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. You did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. I kind of like to say the spirit of adoption, but that's okay. Full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. You'll never have to feel orphaned again, for he, as he rises up within us, our spirits join in him, saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us, and as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. 
And since we are a true, his true children, we qualify to share in all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself, and we are joined to Christ, and we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. That sets the stage for the rest of the chapter, which then goes into the fact that we do suffer, but we have hope. And so just, you know, this whole thing of identity is so important. And I know the church has really leaned into that over the last several years, even decade or so, especially in the charismatic movement. I don't know about other parts of Christianity, but, but have really gone into that. And I think one of the reasons why it was highlighted so much is because of what's happening in the culture right now. If you think, think about this for a minute, if you think about all the activism for unholy purposes, really, the folks who get involved in all this stuff, who don't know Christ, are actually crying out to belong to something and to have identity. If you think about it, because the idea of, of just, you know, this variety of sin, that variety of sin, that's been there forever. But now we have act, activism to make certain kinds of sins acceptable to everybody and pushed on everybody. And we're actually coming into a time where if I say things like, you know, in the beginning, God created them male and female. He created them. And just leave it at that and say that there's only, human beings only have two genders, male and female. I could actually be arrested down the road for that. I mean, we're kind of coming to that. The activism now has gotten so crazy that people push this stuff on kids and everybody else. But what they're really doing is, is just identifying the fact that they're crying out to belong to something, and it, that's become their identity. They've made it their identity, but now they belong to a group, so they have a cause. So let's push it on everybody else. But that's, that's actually not just happening in America. It's happening all over the world. And there are a number of agendas. I call them unholy agendas globalism, humanism, all these different things around the world that are being pushed on humanity by a smaller group of people who basically want to have power and control over the whole world and dominate the world system. And so that's bring, this is bringing great pressure on the world. But the fact that we have an identity called we are sons and daughters of God put us in a completely different category not only gives us hope, it gives us power and authority and purpose that's so beyond anything that the world's trying to do right now that we need to lean into that and just forget about the fact that they're doing all this stuff and get a hold of what God's given us to do and do it with all our might. Amen? So that sets the stage for, like I said, the next uh, part of, of uh, Romans chapter 8. And so I'm, gonna, I'm going to uh, read, start by reading uh, in chapter 8, verse 18. 
I'm convinced that, this, that any suffering that we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled in us. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of the glorious sons and daughters. <clears throat> For it's against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. That's what I'm just talking about. But now, with eager expectation, all of creation longs for freedom from the slavery to decay to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we're aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation, as if it were the contradict, uh, contractions of the labor of childbirth. And it's not just creation, but we also have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit. And we also inwardly groan or passionately long to experience the full status of God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed, for this is the hope of our salvation. Wow. This is such an important passion, uh, uh, passage and section of Scripture because it really defines not only who we are, but what we're living for. And it also points to why we have hope and why hope is so such a, a, a huge anecdote to all of the oppression and depression that the world is, is full of. I saw a bumper sticker on a guy's truck the other day, and it said, I'm a hope dealer. <laughs> Instead of I'm a dope dealer, it said, I'm a hope dealer. I thought, that's pretty good. I like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I don't put stuff on my truck, but I think I wouldn't mind actually putting that on my truck. I'm a hope dealer. <clears throat> so we, we can see why, um, you know, from, from being sons and daughters of God who have this great purpose and all of that, uh, we can see why this present, uh, present temporary suffering isn't even to be compared to the glory that's actually coming on us and on the, the entirety of creation at some point. That's actually the hope of the gospel that, that points to a, a brand new uh, earth, a brand new heaven. We don't, we don't really talk about this as much. You know, I mean, there's been so many things that, that gets focused in the body of Christ, but really central to the gospel is that this is not our home. Heaven is our home. This is not, this is, you know, this present life that we have is only a prelude to, you know, of something to come for the sons and daughters of God. And for those who don't know Christ, it's a prelude to, uh, what, more of the same or worse? And so it's really important that we understand not only the fact that we are sons and daughters of God and our Father is our Father in heaven, and he, he has, he's for us, he's not against us, but also that there is this future glory that's coming. We sang today, uh, from him to him, or through him are all things. I, I don't know if I said that right. From him, through him, and to him are all things. And it says that all things are going to be reconciled together into one in Christ. Everything, uh, both in heaven or on earth, 
everything at some point is going to be reconciled together into one in Christ. He's going to wrap everything else up that's going on in the world, just wrap it all up, and in the final analysis, Christ is going to be Lord. I think this was said last week, you know, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But it's more than that. There's going to be a complete new everything. All things are going to become new. That's the hope that we have in Christ. I don't really know what people hope for at the mess we have now. To be honest, I mean, what can you hope for in this mess that we have now? I mean, if, if, uh, if the activists get their way for all the unholy uh, agendas that's being pushed, and it all gets their way, I mean, what kind of hope is that? No free speech? People being put in jail, people being pitted against each other? You know, and it really, it just it gins up hate, uh, division, strife, probably wars. And, you know, and then, of course, there's this small group of people that want to control the world. Uh, some of you very, maybe never even heard of Davos. It gets together every year as a think tank for rich people who are snotty and <laughs> who get together and say that they're the only ones smart enough and rich enough to rule the world. They literally have said that. And what they have in mind is... Basically, they're not even concerned with all these activist agendas. What they have in mind is basically all the money and all the power. And they're going to use global warming and uh, other kinds of things to basically pull people into their side and say, you know, through fear tactics, to get people to fear everything. And so, you know, need somebody to actually take control of this but they're, they're not concerned about the activist agenda. They want control and power for redistribution of wealth and then have everybody under their thumb to, to do what they say you have to do. That's literally what they're driving for, right? So that's what the world without Christ has to look forward to. But that's not what we look forward to. We have hope in Christ. We don't, we don't even consider ourselves a part of that whole mess. This is not our home. I'll say it again. This is not, not our home. This, we have a permanent home in heaven. And I know for some people it's like, well, I don't really just want to be those who think about the sweet by and by and don't really care what's happening today. No, we should care what's happening today. But at the same time, I've heard people say, you know, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. I actually feel it's the opposite. I think, uh, you know, we need to be too heavenly minded to be some earthly good. Because all the stuff that people are doing to, quote, fix the world is not working very well. Right? At least I don't see it working very well. And I know that there are actually camps in the body of Christ, too, that, that think the world is getting better and better. Uh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I would say that the kingdom of God is continuing to advance. But I would say that the world is doing what it says in 1 John, that it's actually passing away in the form of it. 
that all of the decay that was talked about in Romans 8, that the, the earth is groaning about is actually happening, and it's been, the, the, the world system has been consigned to it because of sin. And that's just the truth. And it's not that, it's not that Papa like, hates the world or anything. He so loved the world he gave us Jesus. But he's standing aside and saying, I'm not going to get involved in this because the, the world system is never an invention of mine anyway. It's a satanic invention that I didn't have anything to do with. So I'm going to let it go ahead and decay. And I'm going to let the world groan and, and uh, cry out and uh, look for an answer. And then I'm going to actually come with the answer. I'm going to send my son Jesus a second time. And when he does, he's going to come and rule and reign in righteousness. And all the sin's going to be done away with. All of the wickedness and evil's going to be done away with. And all the bad actors are going to be thrown in the lake of fire. <laughs> so how do you like that? <laughs> that's, that's what the Bible says, you guys. Don't be deceived like, oh, we should try to make the world a better place. No, it's passing away in the form of it. You can't make something that's horrible and is decaying and rotting unless you're going to heal the world, I guess. But you can't, you can't like change the world into being something that is Christian when it's actually already passing away in the form of it. If you don't like what I just said, then go blame John. Because <laughs> he said it in 1 John. I didn't say it in my own accord. I, I'm just repeating what it says in 1 John. And he even went further and he said, because of that, don't love the world or the things in the world because if you do, and the way it actually says in most translations is if you do, the love of the Father is not in you. The Passion Translation says the love of the Father is not compatible with that. <laughs> That's kind of a slick way of saying you don't love the Father if you really love that. If you love the world and all the things of the world, you don't really love the Father. The love of the Father is not in you. Is that too harsh? I'm just being honest. You know, it's like we, we really, as Christians, really need to get focused on what we need to get focused on. And so, we know who we are, we know who our Father is, and we know the favor and power that's come upon our lives. And we are willing to endure any suffering that comes with it because we have a purpose with, worth living for. You say, well, what is that purpose? to advance the kingdom of God, to bring people into a relationship with their creator. I mean, if we really believe that we get all of this great stuff by being Christians, shouldn't we be just equally passionate about reaching those who don't have what we have? I would think. It's getting quiet in here, I don't know. Well, it's actually more than pray for, but we can talk about that another time. But that is a big part of it. So, moving on down to the, the next part of the passage in Romans 8, it says, but hope, I don't know, are we putting this stuff, I, I'm not doing very good about telling you where I'm at, Keith, but...
I guess I didn't write that down. For this is the hope for our salvation, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why do we need to hope for something that we already have? Let's just keep going. So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep waiting for its fulfillment. And in a similar way, the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or know the best things to ask for. Anybody relate to that? But the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings, yet he understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan our in our destiny. I think... So I'll stop there. Um, this this uh, young woman right here, I, I actually felt when I was sitting there and we were worshiping today, I just, the, the Lord highlighted you, and I feel like intercession is a huge part of your life, and that God wants to actually take you into a place to begin to intercede with this groaning for a creation. That, that, you know, with a lot that creation is longing for, too. There's two ways to it say, uh, it says in Peter that we can hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. One is to join in the intercession, along with all, it says, all of creation, the longing for this to be unveiled, the glory of God to be unveiled and things to wrap up. But the other is to actually evangelize because. The end will not come until it says that this gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth in every people group, then the end will come. Anyway, I just want to bless you and, and uh, feel like God wants to, to anoint you in a special way to, and maybe even gather some people with you to, to, to do that. Are you already doing that? You are. Okay. So to, to gather people together and really begin to lean into this, not necessarily pray for uh, this person to be elected and that person to be elected. I mean, that's all good when the time comes to do that, but really begin to pray for the purposes of God to come upon the earth and the glory of God to be revealed. So, she literally does that. <laughs> okay. What is your name? Cherie. Okay. Oh, cool. All right. Anyway. But I hope that other people will catch this too, not just for her. You know, it's like we've begun to pray more. You know, we're praying for the city, and I think that's what we should do is because we want the glory of God to come upon the city. I totally track with the declaration that was made today, you know, when we did the offering thing. I totally track with the prophetic words and all that for Albany. And that really is an expression of what we're talking about in real time, not just in the future. And so we want to see that happen in Albany.
This is really interesting when you think about Jesus, the intercessor, who's actually interceding for us, by the way, says he's an advocate for us in heaven, and he's, he's advocating for us in heaven while we do his work on earth. And it's amazing, you know, Jesus had multitudes of people following him, but he only picked out 12 to go turn the world upside down. So it's not about, you know, I mean, what we're looking for is not, how do I say this? We're, we're all, sometimes we're looking for the big thing to happen that affects everybody, not just you or me. But Jesus honed in on 12 guys and said, this is all going to land on you, and you're my hope to turn the world upside down after I leave. And so what does that say, you know? To us, sometimes it's, we get so caught up in the bigger picture, it says you can't see uh, the forest for the trees, but sometimes we can't see the trees for the forest. Does that make sense? I don't, it, I don't seem like it made sense when I said it. I don't know. But so Jesus, as the great intercessor, put all of his hope in a few people. So I'm coming to something. Don't ever feel like you're insignificant in what you do and what you're called to do and what you and your prayers being insignificant. Because Jesus used a few to turn the entire world upside down with the gospel. And now we are in our generation and we have to own it. And what you do as an individual actually really matters as a son and daughter of God. And this whole thing of groaning and intercession, some people now it's like, well, no, we got to have joy in intercession. Well, you can have joy in intercession. It says about Jesus that he, had, he was anointed with the oil of joy or gladness more than all of his companions. But at the same time, it says that Jesus prayed with strong crying and tears. So it's not like one or the other, it's both. It's like you can have joy, but sometimes we need to have strong crying and tears too. To actually feel the weight of our intercession. Has anybody ever experienced that? I mean, I know I have, and it's not something that, like you really want to have all the time. It's like you would turn into an emotional wreck. But... There are times where, where really we need to actually just kind of step aside from all of the madness of what we see happening and just begin to get into the intercession of the Holy Spirit and let his intercession begin to intercede through us in a way. And sometimes that is going to be with groanings and cries, maybe even strong tears. But when we get all done, then we can still have the oil of gladness on us. You know, and, and live in the oil of gladness. We don't have to live in strong crying and tears. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, you know, but there's a time where we need to actually, as a body of Christ, as sons and daughters of God, care about what God cares about. I think there's an awful lot of things that we've been caring about that I'm not sure God cares about. I mean, he sets up kings, he takes them down. So that sounds like we really don't have a lot to do with that anyway. 
Should we vote? Absolutely we should vote. But in the end, we're, the, the world is like, as the world turns, <laughs> as the stomach turns. No, let's see, as the world turns. It's just like rolling along into purpose and destiny and, you know, the fullness of time is coming upon the world. There is a fullness of time that, that Daniel talked about. There's a fullness of time that's talked about in, in uh, about concerning Jesus in the fullness of time. And we're coming towards a fullness of time. And there's not a lot that we can do about changing that. Except get involved in the process of helping people around us who are in all of this by helping them see the glory of God and giving them an opportunity to see something that is, makes sense in the world. I know for me personally, probably one of the things that led me to search out the claims of the gospel is that I was, I was just searching for truth. The world didn't even make sense to me when I was you know, like 20 years old. And I'm way older than that now. Even at 20 years old, the world didn't make a lot of sense to me. It's like, I grew up in sort of leave it to beaver era, you know, where, which was a bit of a facade to some degree. I mean, some of it was real and some of it was not. But things were a lot better in this country, believe me, than they are now. No question about it. But I looked at, you know, my neighborhood and I began, it's like, I woke up one day and I'm like, ah, I have skin. I'm a person. Where did I come from? How did I get here? What am I doing? And so, the, yeah, I don't know if anybody has ever happened to you, but it's like I was dead to God. I didn't think about God. I didn't think about anything that had to do with God. I woke up one day, and I was like, how in the world did I get here? Why am I even here? And so as I began to think about all this, I also had other thoughts about the world. Like, is this all there is to the world? All of our neighbors keep their lawn nicely mowed. They go to a job. They raise their kids. They, they work their tail ends off to have some money to get along and be able to get by. And, you know, then they die, and then their kids do the same thing. Is that all there is to this? And then the Lord showed up. And I realized that's not all there is to this. We have a future hope. There's more. There's way more than this. If this world, if you think this world is like the pinnacle of greatness and everything that you would long for, you're sadly deceived. How do I say this without like being nasty and saying something like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, you know? Oh, I just said it anyway. So, <clears throat> but that is absolutely the truth. And if you think the world is so great, and it's like, ah, gee, I just love the world and never want to get let go of the world, you've been, somebody has deceived you because there is so much more. And that's what the whole of humanity and the earth is groaning in travail to be revealed. I, when I read that scripture, I even think of the animals and the birds and everything, you know. I, I wake up out of my place, and it's a very peaceful place, and I've been so blessed and thankful to have the place that we live. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's full of birds and wildlife. 
I don't appreciate what the deer have done to my arborvita, but other than that, I live in this really cool place. And when I wake up in the summer morning, particularly, you can hear the birds singing. And so much of it sounds like praise, you guys. Like praise to God. And you think, well, these creatures, it says that God cares about them too, the sparrows. He cares about them. And so it's like, because he cares about them, I think when they see what's being done to the world, you know, whether it's DDT destroying their habitat and destroying them or whatever it might be, they start crying and groaning too, you know, saying, you know, is there any escape from this corruption? Is there any escape from this decay? And they begin to long for it. They begin to groan for it. And as, as we're rolling down the line closer and closer to the fullness of time, the groaning's getting louder. The yearning's getting deeper. It's like birth pangs, Jesus said, that's coming upon the earth, right? And you say, well, what does that look like? It looks like wars. It looks like this crazy activism. It looks like riots in the street. Just had some of that in France. Probably have more in America before it's all said and done. And, you know, it, it looks like uh, destruction of different things, whether it be habitat or whatever it might be. It's not global warming, but it's, it, that's not the groaning. That's, that's another ruse to get, you know, redistribution of wealth. I'm not saying that the climate doesn't change. It changes all the time. But there's probably five to 600 reputable scientists that all say that global warming is the biggest hoax that's ever been put on humanity as far as a you know, something political, that it's actually based on political science and not real science. Anyway, <laughs> I'm getting into the weeds. But all that really matters because we're facing this stuff all the time. We think about it every day. You know, it's in our face. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. This world is going to pass away in the form of it. God is not in love with the, the world system. He's in love with you. That's where we're coming to the end. So, start where it says, so we're convinced, Keith. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. It actually says, for the good. There's a little bit of difference in there. You can have it whatever way you want it. God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives, for we are his lovers and who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. For, we, for he knew all about us before we were born and destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. There's your identity. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred us, transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. That stuff was so well uh, spoken of and, and, you know, just what we went through all leading up to this from 
chapter 7. And those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. So what does all this mean? If God is determined to stand with us, tell me then, who could ever stand against us? This is, this is a favor that we have. We should never take this for granted. You know, I'll just say this. Don't ever take for granted that God is good. I said something you should actually think about for a while. Don't ever take for granted that God is good. And he has your good in mind. My good in mind. And ultimately, good for all the people of all the world. But not for the world system itself. Never underestimate the power in believing God is good. Our very life depends on it. I don't really, there's really not that much more to say about the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? I mean, that's a mic dropper right there for God, you know? It's like, if he's for us, who can be against us? That's it. Period. End of story. So the last thing I would say is this. We can do this. The reason is God is on our side no matter what is against us. The Father loves us and will never take us back, never take it back, or let anything come between us. Even if he has to track us down or simply wait us out, he will. His plan is victory for us and total defeat of the enemies of our soul and the enemies of Christ. Christ has freed us from sin's penalty. The Holy Spirit frees us from sin's power. The Father gave us Jesus, his only Son. Jesus gave his life for us, and the Holy Spirit now lives in us. We should never take on a victim mentality. Because of what I just said, we should never feel like victims. Never is a big word, but we should never feel like victims. Ever. The Holy Spirit now lives in us, and so... We are meant to carry, we are not meant to carry dead corpses around, but to instead live a life of power, passion, and purpose. When I say carry dead corpses around, maybe some of you know what I mean and some of you don't. Living as though you were living under the old man, your former life in the world, still, that actual life went under the waters of baptism and died with Christ. And you came up with a new life in Jesus, right? So to live like you're still in your old life is to like walk around with a corpse on your back. That was something that they, the Romans, act, they had many ways of being cruel. And one of them was that somebody who uh, was party to a murder had to carry the murdered person on their back as the corpse rotted until they could no longer stand it. Either somebody came and took it off their back, and then they had to pay the penalty of their murder, or they just died. Can you imagine walking around with a dead corpse on your back till you died? 
Those guys were, were geniuses at evil, I'll tell you. But I'm just, I, I bring that up to say, you know, living as though we're still living in our old life and not the new life that Christ gave us is like walking around with a dead man strapped to your back. It stinks, it'll weigh you down, and eventually it'll take your life. There's no other way to say it. We're not made to, to do that. We're made to instead live a life of power, passion, and purpose. And then I'm just going to close with and just read this um, and not really say anything about it. Why don't you all stand with me? And this is just a declaration of God's love for us. Who could ever separate us from the endless love of God's anointed one? Absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love toward us. Troubles, pressures, problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. What about persecutions and deprivations and dangers, death threats? No, for they are all impotent to hinder the omnipotent love even Though it is written, all day long we face death threats for your sake, God. We are considered to be nothing more than sheep to be slaughtered. That's more and more how Christians are going to be viewed in this country, whether you like it or not. Yet in the midst, uh, I would say that there's one caveat. If we have a nationwide awakening and revival, which I still have a hope for. Yet even in the midst of all these things, we triumph over them all, for God has made us to be more than conquerors and demonstrated his love and glorious victory over everything. So now I live with the confidence that there's nothing in the universe that with the power to separate us from God's love. I'm convinced that love will triumph over death, life's troubles, fallen angels, dark rulers, and heavens, there is nothing in our present or future circumstance that can weaken his love. Wow. There is no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Wow. Wow. Amen and amen and amen. Thanks for listening to Jesus Pursuit's weekly sermon. If you would like to be a part of seeing people encounter God, experience transformation, and be equipped to advance the kingdom, you have the opportunity to partner with us through giving at jesuspursuit.org forward slash give. Together, we can make Jesus famous in Albany, the Northwest, and the nations. We hope you have a blessed week, and we'll see you next time.